0: Welcome in to the and Thunder Show. It is Saturday, July the 21st, 2018. We thank you for tuning in here on this beautiful Saturday, and I am joined, as always, by Thunder.
1: Thunder, how's it going? It's great. It's my birthday. It's been a good day so far, so... It's yes, it just been, been a great have. day.
0: spending all day uh, teaming up with our friends over at DNS Sports Talk, and they join us here right now. David, Sean... Happy that you're here. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Give out any social medias.
2: Absolutely, good to good to be here. My name is David Creekmur, and uh, I'm on Twitter at dm creek, and our Instagram page is ds sports talk. Our Facebook page is also ds sports talk, and yeah, we're just excited to be here and and happy birthday, Thunder.
3: <laughs> Thank you. <sighs> yeah, happy birthday as well. My name is Sean Pluckta, guys. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at my my name s c a n. P-L-I-C-H-T-A, and like I said, yeah, with David, we're just glad to be on here talking sports with you guys.
0: Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. As always, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Dom and Thunder, follow our partners over at DMV Sports Nets, they can be followed on Twitter at DMV underscore S-N, and check out their website, a lot of great content up there. Just put up a Nationals Roundtable, which I was... uh, happy enough to contribute to. So a lot of good stuff there on that website you should definitely check out. That's dmbsportsnetwork.com. All right, guys, we got a lot to get into today. Uh, We're going to sort of give you the rundown here, start with some NFL training camp stuff before getting into some tennis, which we haven't really dove into at all on this show, but that should be fun uh, with Wimbledon ending and the uh, hardcore season coming up. And then we'll into college football with our resident college football experts alongside David and Sean, so that should be a very, very fun time, a very packed episode, guys. So let's get right into it. Uh, starting with Des Bryant, guys. I gotta be honest. I, I mean, I haven't been as in on the NFL as I normally am around this time, but I thought he was signed by now. I mean, he was released what March, and it's been it's been a while. So I'll just dive into it right here. Why do you think? You Known as signed Dez, and I'll I'll go ahead and start uh, David with this one, and then Sean, then Thunder.
2: Yeah. So to me, I I think it's the lack of productivity from the last couple of years. I think it's the drop passes. I also think it's the the perceived attitude problems that he has, and and that. But I, I think teams are unwilling to give a big contract to this guy, you know, based on the fact he's only had what two or three thousand yard seasons. You know, a, a bit overhyped, you know, you, you could potentially put him on on that bus a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Where he ends up, you know, I, I could see a team like Green Bay, you know, potentially signing him. You know, Randall Cobbs, you know, may not may or may not be healthy. Their wide receiving core is not really deep, so I, I could see something like that happening. But it, it just seems like every team you think makes sense, they're like, nope, we're good. We, we don't want them. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my thoughts. Sean?
3: I kind of, I mean, I I definitely agree with a lot of what David just said. I mean, the attitude problems have always been there. So I think just the the diva perception that he has, which, you know, for some guys it works out well, but for Dez it doesn't work out too good. And that's been a problem. And, yeah, I mean, the drops have been crazy the last few years, especially. And, yeah, just the, the locker room vibe. I just don't think people really want him in their locker room right now. but. Again, I mean, Green Bay is the the logical place because to me, Devonnie Adams is a star in the making right now for them. And with Randall Cobb just being that good second option, Dennis doesn't have to, I mean, he can just be a, a solid option for them and doesn't have to be the main guy. And I think with just Aaron being as good as he is, I think they can fit in good enough to where, you know, it'll help them out quite a bit. So again, because I, I don't think any other team really wants him. Again, like David said, to be honest, I just think the Packers might fit really well. and He's got a quarterback he can trust, and I think that works out good for them, everybody involved.
2: Maybe a team like the 49ers, you know, that may want an additional weapon to put alongside Marquise Goodwin. You know, maybe they take the risk, but, you know, yeah. I, that's the only other team that I could think of that kind of makes sense. The Ravens, you know, went out and got Crabtree, and yeah, so I don't think that happens. so,
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Thunder?
1: Well, I just think, like, they've already highlighted the diva mentality and all but I think part of it might be the fact that maybe teams are offering him stuff, but he's just turning it down and demanding more money than teams are going to give him. He's turning 30 this season. Um, mm-hmm. And for a, for an NFL player, 30 years old is kind of where productivity declines. He hasn't had a 1,000-yard season since 2014 um, when he posted 1,320 yards uh, he's had injury issues the past few seasons. He did play all 16 in 2017, but he played nine in 2015 and 13 in 2016. And uh yeah, just his production's dropped. He hasn't touched double-digit touchdowns since 2014. So I just think teams are looking at that productivity drop and say, and then the amount of money he's probably asking for and saying, that's not what they want and that's not a good value to their team.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything you guys said. I mean, we know about the domestic violence stuff and the legal issues that he's had throughout his career. He's had the the ankle, the leg, knee, foot, all those injuries. And, and then, like you said, Thunder, it's not a secret. He's the, not the greatest teammate in the world. He's got that diva mentality. He wants to be the number one. Uh, we saw him come out and say that he wants to play for an NFC East team just so that he can dominate Dallas for two games. That's might be something teens are not (laughs) that fond of, but um, as far as where he's gonna go, I actually do think an NFC East team like our hometown Washington Redskins could use a guy like him. Yeah, he's not; he might not be great for the locker room or whatever. But like talent alone, he trumps what they have in terms of third and fourth receivers. I mean, look at the Redskins right now; you got Crowder. Josh Doxon, Jordan Reed is there. You have uh, Paul Richardson, who's signed in the offseason. But in terms of depth behind that, I mean, you're looking at guys like Brian Quick, Maurice Harris. Uh, Dez is an upgrade to those guys, even at age 30. So I would like to see the Redskins maybe go after him. And then uh, the guys mentioned the Packers. That would make a lot of sense. Seattle, maybe uh, losing Richardson in the offseason could work as well. So those are the teams. I see kind of going after Brian, and hopefully he'll sign uh, pretty soon. And then, next question, looking around the league at these quarterback situations, what quarterback battle are you most intrigued by and why? And I'll start with David.
2: Yeah, so uh, obviously there's four you know, main ones. You've got Buffalo there, which, which I think Josh Allen's going to be the guy, and by the way, I think that's a mistake. I think that was I think that guy was way overhyped coming to the draft, and I think that's going to be a mistake. So we'll we'll see how that goes. You know, if, if I were the Jets, I would just go ahead and go Darnold over McCown and Bridgewater. As much mm-hmm. as I like Bridgewater, uh, you know, Arizona, I think it's a no-brainer that Rosen should go ahead and and, and be the guy. I, it, does anybody really trust Sam Bradford? I mean, come on, you know, <laughs> nobody can trust him to stay healthy. You know, it, he's a talented guy, but he can't stay healthy. Cleveland's the obvious pick here. We got Baker Mayfield. He got Tyrod Taylor, who they traded for. You know, he's supposed to be their stopgap this year. They're paying him, what, $10, $15 million this year with the intention of him being, you know, the holdover guy. But that team went out, and they made some good additions. You've got Jarvis Landry there. You've got Josh Gordon coming back. You've got an interesting running back, you know, core there now. The defense is, is being built up. You know, I would think they would let Tyrod Taylor be the guy. But at the same time, if it was me, I'm of the school of thought that, okay, Baker Mayfield's not Tyrod Taylor at this point, but he is your future. You drafted him number one. Go ahead and let him play and start building that chemistry with Landry, with Gordon, with Corey Coleman, with David Njoku, all those guys that they have. Because let's be honest, they should improve this year, but they're not going to be a playoff team either way, whether Tyrod Taylor plays or Baker Mayfield plays, right? I mean, I I think we're Mm -hmm. all in agreement on that. So, I, I'm intrigued by that just to see what school of thought they 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 end up going with there.
3: Yeah, yeah, this one's going to be this one's interesting for me too. Like, I mean, Cleveland's definitely the most intriguing just because of the Baker Mayfield factor of it. My my big one to me is like what Dave was talking about with the Jets. Like, to me, it's 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 tough because all three are deserving in a lot of ways. I mean, you have Josh McCown who Really, honestly, played really well last year for a very down Jets team. Yeah. I mean, he he didn't yeah. make a lot of mistakes, and that's what you want. You know, you want a guy that's going to make the right plays. Yes, he's not dynamic in any sense of the word, but again, he, you know, completed over 60% of his passes. That's solid. But to me, I understand they drafted Darnold, and I understand why they would start Darnold, because, like, well, we drafted him this high, we kind of have to start him. But to me, Teddy Bridgewater, I understand the injury issues. I get it. That was a horrific injury he suffered. There's no question about that. I honestly think Teddy Bridgewater is the best of the three and I think they're going to go Darnold. I would go Bridgewater only because I think he looks everything I've seen. He looks really good coming off the injury. You know, he's been practicing, doing his thing, getting ready for the season. I think he's in good shape. And I think he's got the best intangibles out of all three. I think he's got the arm strength. He's got the accuracy. He has everything you want in an NFL quarterback. And I think we would have seen that in Minnesota if the injury wouldn't have happened. Now, granted, you know Minnesota's doing fine now, but I, I just, I would go Bridgewater. I just, I still am sole on Bridgewater. I know the injury is why they're, they're not going to start him. And I know Darnold, you drafted there, but I would go Bridgewater. So that's the most intriguing still to me because all three have a legitimate case of starting. And so I I think, you know, it'll be, I think, but I'm curious to see where they go.
2: To your Bridgewater point there, Sean, is. I think he's the most talented guy. I I think it was unfortunate that injury, he was, he definitely showed a lot of why a lot of people thought he could be really good coming into the NFL, including me. He's in a precarious position because he signs this one-year deal with the Jets who already, they bring back McCown, they draft Arnold. You know, this should be the year that he is, basically putting himself out there to potentially get a bigger contract with another team, and he may not get that opportunity. So it really sucks to see Mm -hmm. a guy, his career may be done because of an injury, even though he's still talented enough to play in this league. So anyway, just want to throw that out there.
1: I think the most interesting quarterback duel is actually up in Buffalo because it's Mm -hmm. up with Josh Allen and all, and, uh, all that situation. But I think the odd thing about it that strikes me as the most interesting is the fact that as hyped as he was coming out of college, he slipped a little in the draft. He didn't go as high as he'd like, of course. But I think the fact that it's still up for grabs, even though the quarterback competition there is Nathan Peterman, who threw God knows how many interceptions against <laughs> the Chargers in that one game. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's still controversy makes me confused because I mean it's here's a number here was your first pick in the draft not the first pick but the Buffalo Bills first pick in the draft and he's not won the starting job against a guy who was a bench warmer and threw like what six or seven interceptions and in mm-hmm. AJ yeah.
0: McCarron yeah. they did sign so that would be his competition yeah. but I I right. see what you're saying. Like no,
1: but uh, but also uh, in the depth chart, they still have Josh Allen below at, in at third. They still have him there in the depth. Chart. Right, right. That's why that's yeah, okay. what I'm so confused about is how he hasn't even passed into second yet.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, no, I
0: would agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
1: that's just highly confusing.
0: It looks like we're gonna have four different answers here because I'm most intrigued by the Cardinal situation because. I mean, David, I agree with everything you said. Rosen should be the starter. But, I mean, all signs indicate that Bradford is going to be. I mean, assuming his his knee is healthy and everything. I mean, that's just the word out of OTAs and, you know, pre-train camp workouts, all that. But, I mean, for me, Rosen should definitely be starting. Like, first of all, the book on him going to the draft was that he was the most NFL-ready pocket passer out of all these quarterbacks, but the one mm-hmm. reason he fell was kind of because of his personality and he had some injury problems there, but, but definitely the talent is there. And a second reason is that the team is really good. I mean, it really is like you got David Johnson there. You got Fitzgerald and some other skill position players to help me on offense. And that's the best thing a young quarterback can have, you know, players surrounding him on offense that can help elevate his game. And then third the new offensive coordinator there is Mike McCoy. And we know about, you look at what he did with Kyle Orton when he was uh, assisting there in Denver. And then with Philip Rivers, you could argue that Philip Rivers best four years as a quarterback came when Mike McCoy was the head coach. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a great fit there. So uh, I'm, I want to see Rosen start. I think he should. So uh, that's, that's my answer. Any other thoughts? No, it's I agree. I, of, I agree. Two
2: schools of thought on Arizona because Bradford was brought in. They say because you know it's later Fitzgerald's last year potentially, and so they wanted to bring in a veteran to pair with Fitzgerald. And you know, which to me, I would have brought in Bridgewater, but you know, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But then you have to think about your future, and Josh Rosen and Christian Kirk is your future combination. So to yeah. me, it, I would like this I would like to start working on that you know build that chemistry between those two guys because that's your future there in arizona because i think christian mm-hmm. kirk is going to be a star so that's primarily why i would go rosen even though i think fitzgerald would be happy either way if rosen goes out there and is producing and fitzgerald's still getting his catches fitzgerald's not a diva he's he'll be fine yeah. you know so
3: yeah definitely no i i agree that's like fair. christian kirk yeah I, the rosen kirk yeah i think that's a combo <laughs> And like I said, you're not going to win. I mean, I just don't see how they're going to win the division, honestly. So just let, I mean, and Bradford, like I said, I mean, Bradford won't stay healthy. It's a guarantee that's not going to happen. So just go with Rosen, who's the fresh guy, who is the more, has the more upside of the two anyway, and just go with it and just utilize David Johnson the way he should be utilized. And I think you got a lot to work on there, work with.
0: Yeah. So there you go on our NFL training camp storylines. And Let's move on to, to some tennis. And I know, Thunder, you're not the biggest tennis fan, so feel free to sit this one out. David, feel free to contribute as well. Uh, but, Sean, I'll start with you here. Uh, getting into Wimbledon, which, in my opinion, was one of the best uh, majors we've seen in in recent memory. So I'll just start off with, what were your some of your big takeaways from Wimbledon, something on the men's side and women's side? Well. I mean, of course, with the men's side,
3: it's just, I mean, it's hard not to think of Wimbledon this year and not think of those two semifinal matches. I mean, they were just iconic. I mean, two of the best matches I've ever, I've ever seen. I mean, Anderson, Isner, two big servers, you know, don't think of either one as the great returners. Isner, worse than even Kevin Anderson is. And just going at it for six and a half hours, you know, still serving 140 miles an hour. Just, I mean, just phenomenal stuff. And then to back it up with, you know, Djokovic and Nadal, two of the best ever to do it and to play for almost over five hours and both go deep, deep in the fifth set. Which the one takeaway from that was, and you had said on Twitter, and I, you know, agreed with you completely, like we need to have a tiebreaker in the fifth set. I just, when you go that long and you're going six, seven hours, like you're, some of these guys could get injured because tennis is, again, a very physical sport. When you're having to move back and forth like that for that long a period of time, You're looking at ankle injuries and leg injuries, and it's just, it's not good. They need to do the tiebreak there. So that was the the big on the men's side, and then obviously Chillish and some of those guys losing early. The women's side was just the fact that the top 10 Cs were all gone pretty early. I mean, it shows you the depth of how good women's tennis is right now. Yes, Serena, when she's healthy, is still the best ever to do it and still the best right now, but... I mean, just there's so many great women's players out there right now. Obviously Kerber, who wanted to beat Serena, you know, obviously Wozniacki, who did lose early, who I picked to win the tournament, so I look like a fool for that. But <laughs> you know, she's been playing really well. I mean, Muguruza still is really, really good. Pliskova still great. I mean, Kvitova had the injury which hurt her in, in that tournament, but she's still a dangerous player. The women's side, and obviously Halep, the number one player in the world right now. So. There's a lot of good women's talent out there. And, yeah, so that was my big takeaway from the women's side.
0: Yeah, for me on the men's side, you talked about the semifinals. I'll go all the way back to the quarterfinals, which I think, you know, Sands, the the Djokovic-Nishikori match, was probably the best group of quarterfinals, I think, ever at Wimbledon. Because you had, you know, two of the best servers in the game right now and of all time. I mean, no kidding with Ronich and, and Isner there. Isner pulling it out in yeah. four sets. But then you had the two five-set marathons. Linda Dahl-Del Potro match. Terrific wow. tennis, especially at the end. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just could, doesn't get any better than that. Uh, but apparently Federer and Anderson thought uh, thought it could get better because they went 13-11 in that fifth set. You know, going back and forth there. Obviously, terrific play from Anderson. But those quarterfinal matches, man, does not get much better than that. And obviously the the yeah. semifinal stuff with Anderson and Isner, the fifty games played in that last set. You you brought up there needs to be a a change here from Wimbledon. Uh, you you got to have that fifth set tiebreaker. You just got to have it. Uh, and then Anderson was completely exhausted by the the uh, the final where he really didn't stand right. a chance against Djokovic. So that's my takeaway from the men's side. For the women's side, I'm gonna say this right now. I sure as hell hope this is the last time. Serena's ever ranked twenty-five or below at a major ever, <laughs> because right. in this tournament she really did not skip a beat. You know, before the finals, obviously where she she lost to Kerber. Give all the credit to her, but I mean, you can be prickety and say, well, she didn't play anyone. Well, that's not her fault. I mean, and, and you you got to look at not who she played, but the way she played, and the way she played was you know vintage Serena the. She was moving well. Her serve was as lethal as it was before the pregnancy and the injury and all that. And she was able to, you know, the ground strokes, finish points early with the forehand, being aggressive. She played terrific, and it really was a, a joy to watch old tournament. Obviously, she didn't win the whole thing, but that's my big takeaway from it. If there's any inch of doubt that she's not going to, or that she wouldn't be the same after the pregnancy and the four majors taken off, I think all doubt was a race with her performance. and. I'll right. put yep. my I'll put it on the line right now. I'm I'm gonna say she's she's gonna break the 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 Margaret Court uh twenty-four majors all time record. She's definitely gonna break that. I mean no doubt in my wow, mind. You're going, it's out there.
3: you're going out there on that. You're going out there on that one. She I needs like two it, more. I mean Yeah. I, mean, it, yeah.
0: It, I, like it, it. I just think it's a no-brainer that's gonna happen. It's Any great. other thoughts on that, David?
2: Well for me for Serena, to do what she's doing at her age and after the pregnancy, after the injuries that you mentioned, everything that she has dealt with over the last year and a half, to come back and play it at this level, is it's nothing short of amazing. And she continues to prove why she's the best women's player ever in history. But I think the women's game, like Sean said, is at a it's at the best, maybe the best it's been and maybe ever, but definitely in a long time in terms of just so many players that actually have a chance to win. And you look at players like Sloan Stevens, who, you know, loses in the first round, all these great players losing early, you know, just shows the depth that's on that side. The men's side is getting better, but you still have your Djokovic you know, he's, mm. he's coming back and it looks like he might make one more run before, <laughs> before he, you know, he's done Federer. I mean, the guy's almost 40. And he's still <laughs> going deep in majors. He's still dominating. He's still winning tournaments. I mean, what he does is ridiculous.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: my takeaway, biggest takeaway is the same as what y'all said. And that is you got to have that tiebreaker, you know, at 12 or wherever. You got to have that tiebreaker because to put these guys out there for five, six hours, like Sean said, you're risking injury. You, I mean, just pure exhaustion. I mean, it, there's so many reasons why. That shouldn't be allowed, particularly in a major like this on the big stage. It's fun to watch. It was great to watch, <laughs> and yeah. you know, when your whole entire workday, you know, is that one match, it's pretty cool. But at the same time, those guys shouldn't have to go through that. It's it's pretty ridiculous. But so they definitely need to implement Absolutely. that for sure.
0: And then before we get into the, I wanted to ask about the hardcore season coming up here kind of wrapping up the tennis year in general. But Sean, I just want to ask you, for some of our newer tennis fans listening, and I know there are a lot of them, what is the main difference between these surfaces? Obviously, you've got Wimbledon in the grass. French associated that with clay. But then you got the hardcore season coming up. So first of all, what are the main differences between them? And then is the differences as much as people make them out to be? Or at the end they will just the, the best players win?
3: Well, I mean, I do think that. I mean, the best players win, regardless to me of what surface mm-hmm. it, it's on. I mean, I've always thought that, you know. But I, I mean, i I've, you know, obviously the best players say there's a lot of difference. I mean, the, the main thing is clay is just, you know, depends on what the. I feel like clay and grass. It's almost like what the weather is like. Clay sometimes, if it's mm. a little more humid, it doesn't. The ball is slower. It moves around the court right. slower. I mean, you have time to adjust everything a little bit easier in the movements a little better grasses the movement can be tricky as we saw in wimbledon there were many guys slipping around yeah. Cause once the, the course starts to wear down you kind of you know it's hard to move in certain areas and i mean and it's obviously it goes quicker early on in the tournament because it's fresher the, the, i mean it hasn't gotten worn down as much and then obviously hardcore the movement's just fine i mean you're obviously it depends on what the weather is i mean if it's obviously you know you know, hotter, but the ball moves a little bit faster through the court. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a little difference here and there. But to, to me, like you said, the best players win regardless of what surface you're on. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Nadal on clay, who just dominates on clay right, or whatever exactly, reason, I was going to bring that
0: single... up. You know, clay, clay is more conducive to those finesse players, which is why you see the Nadal, you know, completely dominating that tournament. Uh, but, you know, you, you nailed it at the grass. You know, a, lot, a lot of guys slipping left and right. But also the ball will move the fastest on there. Uh, so typically, you'll have the right. better servers uh, dominate that, and we saw, you know, Anderson, Isner, uh, Djokovic, mm-hmm. those guys went far. Mm-hmm. And then hard is it's in the middle; it's sort of the the common denominator between the two. You've got that's really where you know at the end of the year, there's really no nothing that that uh, is unique about it. You know, everyone plays on hard court, right? It's it's you know mm-hmm. you can go over to your public library and play on the hard court can't go to your public (laughs) library and play on the grass court you know so (laughs) that's what everyone grows up with and uh so that's really the main difference there and uh, so how about the hard court season what are some key players you're looking out for to win some of these tournaments and eventually the u.s open
3: yeah well i'll go on the men's side first and i'll try to eliminate the obvious people because i mean we don't need to go into how great those guys are, but some guys I think will do better this hardcourt season is I'm still looking for Zverev, Alexander Zverev, to mm-hmm. really, I mean I think he's he looked better at Wimbledon. Obviously, he didn't go as far as he would have liked, but I think he's ready for the hardcourt season if these the injuries looks a lot better for him. I think he'll make a really good run. Obviously, Isner loves hardcourt anyway, so I think if Isner can just feel good enough to go on this hardcore season. He plays in Atlanta here coming up this next tournament where he's won that a mm-hmm. couple of times, right. can win a couple of tournaments, get himself more confident, build that confidence up again. I think he can be all right. Del is the guy I'm looking for though. I mean, Del is playing so well. He seems like he's a hundred percent again from all these wrist injuries and the surgeries he's had. He's a guy that I think is going to make, but the guy that I'm really think could do is Dennis Shapovalov. I think he hmm. I think the hardcore is his favorite surface from what I can tell. And he's a young gun. I mean, this guy can do it all. He's gotten a lot better in the last year. I think he's one of the surprise guys you can kind of see maybe making a run at the U.S. Open if he's kind of yeah. building confidence again going into it. So that's who I mean. And the women's side, I really think this is where Azarenka is going to get back. Victoria Azarenka is going to get back to where she was and start to make that push again. She obviously had the pregnancy, and then she's battled some a lot of personal problems that she's had. And so – she hasn't been ranked, so the draws have been really hard. Losing to Polushka early at Wimbledon, I, I really think this hardcore season where she'll start making that push again to start getting back up in the rankings because she's so she's too good not to. She's got the whole package. She's obviously battled Serena at, at, at the biggest moments, and I mean hasn't necessarily beat her a lot, but she's shown she's got the best chance of, other than a Kerber to beat her consistently. And then the other girl, I would say. And she played really well at Wimbledon, losing to Kerber. But I really like Belinda Bencic a lot. I've been high on her for the mm. last few years. She's still really young. She's feisty, which I like in a women's player. She like has that that competitiveness that you really want. Her serve has to get a little better, but her ground strokes or her forehand's great. And she's beaten Serena before. I really like her her confidence. And if she can just keep herself good on the court, which she kind of gets down on herself really easily, that she can figure those things out. I think the future this hardcore season could be really bright for her too.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on all those. You mentioned John Isner on the men's side. He's gonna be a heavy, heavy favorite in uh, Atlanta, definitely, where you mentioned that he's won four out of the last five tournaments there. Uh a guy that's gone forgotten a bit this year has been Sam Querrey, who had the yeah. the good one good run to the uh open quarterfinals last year, I believe. Uh, so he's mm-hmm. going to be right back there, uh, another American. And then, I mean, the way Kevin Anderson is playing and the way he played at Wimbledon, <laughs> he's got a, a good a shot as anyone in these tournaments. And right. I, you know, he reached the semifinals or maybe even the finals last year, at the Open. So there's no reason why he can't yes, get yep, back yep. there. Yeah, right. And on the women's side, obviously, you know, Serena is probably going to be there in the, you know, the U.S. <laughs> Open and all that. You have no surprise there, but. Madison Keys is a player that is definitely going to get some run in some of these, some of these tournaments. She herself mm-hmm. reached the, I think, the semifinals last year, and then I like uh, her a lot. Yeah, she's at a top ten right now, and she'll definitely get even better. And then uh, Muguruza, also, you know, a great server that's definitely going to help on hardcore. That's what you should. That's another player to look out for there. Uh, anything else you guys want to add about upcoming season and Tennis in general.
2: I had one thought on Madison Keys, and I I like the growth that she showed in Wimbledon because obviously she lost early, but she was very open about like the mental side of the game and and you know just kind of how you know she once she got behind she just really struggled and all that or just the mind games and for her to 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 recognize that and to be open I think is a big step in her development because she's got all the talent in the world and for a lot of these players, they're like that. They just can't get over the mental side of it. And so Mm -hmm. for her to address that, I think it's a good sign. So I'm anxious to see how she plays in these next couple of tournaments that she's in. And, you know, because she should be, I mean, she should win tournaments. She should win majors in
0: my opinion. I mean, she's
2: that talented. So Mm -hmm. I just want to throw that in there.
0: Yeah, sure. So let's move on here to some college football, which I know you guys are very much into. Yes, Yes. you are excited and uh, you know, <laughs> Thunder and I were not the remote casual fans at best, right? So, uh, we'll let you guys do most of the talking here. But I want to ask you this first we know the those juggernauts like Alabama and Clemson and Georgia, they're going to be there at year's end. But who are some of your under the radar, either Power Five teams or you know, a mid major program that can be that Western Michigan or UCF? of 2018, and I'll start with Sean.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, there's definitely quite a few we were thinking of, and so the first one I want to throw out there is, even though, like I said, they're they're probably not going to win the division just because George is so good, but a team that could be a surprise to South Carolina, for sure. There's no question about it in in our minds. I mean, just, Will Muschamp, I was down on him. I was really down on Will Muschamp, but I, I, I'm sold now. I mean, he's turned this team around offensively, they've got a ton back. I mean, they are going to be loaded. Like Jake Bentley, you know, you get a little worried, but I feel, you know, because he started out the year really sluggish, but at the end of the year, he played really, really well. That receiving core with Brian Edwards and Shai Smith and Debo Samuel, one of the best receivers in the country, and Ortre Smith, they are loaded on that side of the ball with, you know, Dowdle and A.J. Turner. and I mean, they have just so many weapons. With the offensive line, yeah, their left tackle is a little un- unproven, but they've got a still solid offensive line back with the defense. You know, I trust him. I trust Coach on that side of the ball. I mean, they've got a lot of talent there with Bryson Allen Williams coming back and uh, especially with Jamias Williams being one of the, I think could be one of the top corners in the SEC. I just think they've got a really, really good chance of making some noise. Uh, they're really, really talented. Oh, yeah, I'll also go, well, the second one I would go is I'd go with TCU. Just, I mean, number one, they're well coached with Gary Patterson. I, I love what they're doing. The question for them is Sean Robinson. He obviously, took over for Kenny Hill. Like, even though Kenny Hill wasn't very good either, but the question is, can Sean Robinson get to that next level? And I think it's definitely possible. Like, I think he's very, very talented. They've got a, re- I, I think, a really good receiving core. Darius Anderson's is a good running back. They've got solid receivers with Jalen Rager, who I think is going to have a huge year this year. Jalen Austin's really solid with Cavani Turpin, who does all the stuff in the return game as well. I, I still like them on defense. Yeah, they lost a couple guys, but with Ty Summers anchoring the defense, I think they're a really good team. But the team, like a Western Michigan and Central Florida, that I think that we think is going to do really well is Fresno State. I just again, you saw what Jeff Tedford did with this team. This, this team was nothing two years ago, and all of a sudden they win ten games. You know Marcus McMarion did nothing at Oregon State. Comes in, you show, you see what he does with quarterbacks. Like he would, had a really good year. They have literally everybody back. I mean, solid running backs. Ronnie Rivers is a, a, had a good freshman year. With Jordan Mims has been solid. With uh, they got Makaya Quick, who is a guy from Oklahoma who transferred to Fresno, who I think is a hometown. He was from California. I think he's gonna have a huge year for them. You know they've got a couple other solid guys at receiver, and, and their defense is all back. And their defense was solid last year with Jeffrey Allison leading that 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 team. So, and their schedule is very favorable. We had to go to Minnesota and UCLA early in the year, but those are two winn- very winnable games. And the rest of their schedule, obviously, with, you know, they go to Boise State later in the year. So we'll see. Obviously, Boise is going to be a solid team as well. They, they have a really good chance to. I mean, they're a really good team. And then the other team we kind of I I, I thought about was Oregon. With Mario Cristobal, first-year coach, but, you know, been very high on him, very, very high on him when he was at Florida International. Obviously, he's been at Alabama for a few years. Uh, Oregon, with Justin Herbert, who had the injuries last year, and you saw when he was gone, they stunk really bad. But with him back, yes, they lose Royce Freeman, but they have enough talent at running back that they'll be solid enough. And the receiving core with Dylan Mitchell is going to be one of the best receivers, I think, in the Pac-12 you've got a great defense back. I mean, Troy Dye, again, one of the best defensive players in the country with, you know, Thomas Graham, Ugo Almaty in the secondary. I really like what they have as well. So those are the teams that, you know, I was thinking, okay, these teams can make a really good run.
2: I'll start with group of five and collectively Fresno state would be like our pick, Uh, but another team out there that could make that run is is Florida Atlantic. I mean, the fighting Lane Kiffin's there. So (laughs) First game they go to Oklahoma, they go to Oklahoma so we're gonna know a lot about them that very first game and they have a you know a couple tough games on their schedule but this team is loaded they actually have an Oklahoma transfer quarterback that'll be their starter Devin Singletary is one of the best running backs in the country ran for close to two thousand yards last year um, you know they're loaded offensively but defensively is I mean they've got several several stars on that side the secondary is extremely solid their <clears throat> excuse me their middle linebacker Aziz Al Shire. Um, is one of the better linebackers in the country. He had a, he had 147 tackles last year. So, you know, that's a team to look out for there as far as group of five outside of, you know, Fresno State. One team in the Big 12, Oklahoma, obviously is the favorite and they should be, you know, even with Kyler Murray coming in, new quarterback. But I actually think Texas is going to be better. You know, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to pick them to win the conference per se. Actually, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm still working on all my predictions, but. I think Texas is going to take a step forward, and if there was a surprise team out of the Big Twelve, it could be them. I think defensively, they're going to be top notch. Todd Orlando is probably the best defensive coordinator in the country, and you know they're loading that side of the ball. Gary Johnson's a name to look out for. I think it's going to be mm-hmm. you know one of the better players. Um, offensively, it really it's predicated on Sam Ellinger and his development. That guy took a lot of hits last year as a freshman. You know he has that robert griffin mentality where he just like bulldozes into people and he's not very good at avoiding hits and so he's a walking concussion waiting to happen so that's the only issue there but if if he can figure that out and take to the coaching that has been given to him and you know i think he can take his game the next level because they're loaded at wide receiver colin johnson little jordan humphrey the running back core they don't have like one great running back but they have a solid group and you know and tom herman's done a good job as a coach that's a team a team of ACC that obviously, you know, Clemson's the favorite, Florida State, Miami, you know, those teams are talked about. If there's like a, just a team that could just make everybody just go, what in the world just happened? It'd be Boston College, weirdly right. enough. They have A.J. Dillon, who, who is the Heisman, you know, front runner. We'll, we'll talk about that. They have one of the better defenses in the country. You know, the style of play that they, that they have. Does, you don't have to have a gunslinger or quarterback, which they don't. They've got some good receivers. they got a good offensive line. They have some good pieces. So That's an off-the-wall team that I would put out there. In the Big Ten, Michigan State is a team to look out for. Obviously, they overachieved last year, coming off the 3-9 and year. They won 10 games last year. Brian Lewerke is one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Get used to that name. L.J. Scott's a good running back. The wide receiving core is really good. Felton Davis was you know, on the Big Ten, all Big Ten teams last year. Defensively, it's going to be a really good group, as it always is under Mark D'Antonio. And you just trust Mark D'Antonio as a coach. He, he always gets at, at everything out of his guys. Um, so those are the teams i put out there. Other teams that I wouldn't be surprised if they did way better than people are expecting are teams like Mississippi State, uh, you know, Florida, uh, even Utah or Arizona out of the Pac-12. Uh, and then Stanford is that they're a big name. Washington's the favorite in their division, but I really like what Stanford has that they're, they're loaded. And, and that's a team that, you know, could come out of the Pac-12 this year.
0: Good, good. So getting to some of the the players individually, in you know, a since the, since 2000, there've been 18 Heisman trophy winners and 15 of them have been quarterbacks. And the other three were running backs, really enough. So who are your top candidates for the trophy this year? And then the second part, do you think the run on, run on quarterbacks is fair to those defensive studs, for instance? And I'll start with David.
2: So I, I don't like the fact that quarterbacks typically win. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of years where a running back or a wide receiver or maybe a defensive guy like like in you know, and other guys in the past that have had huge years are deserving of an adult win because they lose out to a quarterback. And I get it, you know, quarterbacks they have the ball in their hands, you know, the, the spotlight is always on them. I understand that. And then when you have guys like Lamar Jackson putting up ridiculous numbers, Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow, Cam Newton, it, it, it's hard not to give the award to those guys. I get it. But there's some years where other guys should, should get it. This year, quarterbacks, you know, th- there's several contenders. A lot of people would put, you know, maybe Mackenzie Milton from Central Florida. Will Greer from West Virginia is getting a lot of run. You know, Trace McSorley. Khalil Tate from Arizona is going to put up some big numbers. I-, I think Jared Stidham is one of my favorites this year from Auburn. I, I think the team is going to rely on him a little bit more than they did last year. They lost their top couple running backs from last year. I think they're going to pass the ball maybe a little bit more. I think he's going to show why he was so highly recruited coming out of high school here in Texas. Uh, Jake Browning from Washington's going to have the numbers. He's also going to have the team success. And then Shea Patterson would be like the under-the-radar guy for Michigan. People were mixed on him. Some people really love him. Some people are like, ah, he's not really going to do all that much. I think he's going to have a big year at Michigan. He's got a couple receivers there. Donovan Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black, I think, are going to have huge years. So he's a guy, but non-quarterbacks, if I was going to put my money on somebody and I've got three or four names I'll throw out here, if I was going to pick a name, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. And that may be the guy that I picked to win the Heisman this year. He's going to get relied upon more than just about anybody in the country. He already had a humongous year last year. Alex Hornibrook is okay at quarterback and they have Danny Davis, wide receiver, but again, Wisconsin is always a running team. They always have the running backs that put up huge numbers. And Jonathan Taylor is, is is that guy. If I was going to pick a Heisman winner, that's the guy I'm going with right now. Secondarily, I like Justice Hill from Oklahoma State. That's a name that some people overlook. That guy is really good. Everybody focused on Mason Rudolph and James Washington last year for good reason. Those guys, that was a heck of a tandem. But Justice Hill still put up some ridiculous numbers. and. He is, you know, last year he ran for almost 1,500 yards, 15 touchdowns. He does stuff out. He can do stuff out of the backfield as a receiver. He had close to 200 yards receiving. That's a name to look out for. And then I mentioned it a minute ago. A.J. Dillon from Boston College would be the other guy. You know, he's going to get relied on. It's a running offense. He's going to have the numbers. I think the team will be decent. You don't have to be a 10 win team to win the Heisman. Lamar Jackson proved that. You know, so I, I. a J. the other guy, J K. Dobbins is talented enough, but he's going to have carries taken away from him by Mike Weber. So, okay. I like Jonathan Taylor, John.
3: Yeah, it's man. There's like he said, there's so many different candidates that you know you could choose from. If I was going quarterbacks, I mean, definitely one guy I would still lean on is Trace McSorley, just because I really love what he does. It's all around. You know, he can he can make all the throws, very accurate, very mobile. And Penn State, yeah, they lost some talent, but they still got a lot of talent there at receiver. And with uh, Justin Shorter a true freshman that nobody will know about early, but he'll make a, I think he'll make a big impact for them. I, I think McSorley will have a big year. I mean, Greer would still be my second guy just because he's so good, and their receiving core is so talented. I just think he's going to have a monster year. Even if West Virginia doesn't go super far, I still think he'll have such good numbers that it'll be hard not to put him there. But if I was going non-quarterbacks as well, I, I mean, the first guy I thought of is Miles Gaskin. And, yeah, from Washington, just because, I mean, he had a monster year last year. Everybody's overlooking him in some ways. He had a big-time year. And, yeah, Jake Browning is I say, a really good quarterback. But I just think Gaskin, I still think they're going to rely on him huge in the running game. And even with they have some Hunter Bryants, so obviously, get tight end to have some good receivers there. But I think Gaskin can have a really, really huge year. Now, if I was going non-running back, I would still go A.J. Brown from Ole Miss just yeah. because he's going to have a monster season. I mean, the guy is just unbelievable. He uh, great hands. The route, the runs routes fantastic. Just can jump out of the roof. I mean, he just has everything you want. But the guy is kind of a sleeper. Just because you know, he's on a great team, we don't know how many touches he'll actually get. Is DeAndre Swift from Georgia? Only because with Chubb and Michelle both going to the NFL – DeAndre Swift was one of the best freshmen in the country last year, just with the times he touched the ball. I think he'll have the ball in his hands still quite a bit with Georgia. And I, and I think he's definitely one of those guys. Obviously, Georgia's going to have a great year. He could be a really, really big part of that. So those are the guys. I w- if I had to pick one, though, I'd still go McSorley if I had to choose my ultimate Heisman winner right now. But it's there's a lot of good candidates out there.
2: Yeah, I want to echo the A.J. Brown, the wide receiver from Ole Miss. You know, It's going to be hard for a wide receiver to win, and Ole Miss is not going to be very good. If I was going to throw out a defensive guy, i was going to put this out there, and Sean, you'll like this, just because I know you like this guy. A, a guy that could have a big enough year, just from an all-around perspective, is Kalik Hudson from Michigan. That's a name. Yes. Going to throw that out. yes. Just going to throw that out there. Let, <laughs> let, let that simmer a little bit. That That's a guy that, if there's a defensive player that could get Heisman love just because of all this stuff that he does, it's him. And Oliver you know, could as well, just because he might just put up ridiculous numbers at defensive tackle down at Houston, but, uh, mm-hmm. but, yeah,
0: great. And then the uh, final question here is that there were a, it was a lot of coach movement uh, over the off season. Whether it was Chip Kelly and <laughs> UCLA, uh, you had uh, Jimbo Fisher going to Texas A and M, Willie Taggart to uh, Florida State replacing him. So two part question. First of all, give me one team out of these these squads with new coaches that are going to contend for say, a 10-win season and be, you know, relatively in that playoff conversation. And then one team that's just going to have no shot that, that they're in for a, a long rebuilding process. And I'll start with Sean for this one. Yeah, the,
3: the one team I think that obviously could contend for a 10-win team with the new coach is the one, one I kind of talked about earlier, which is Oregon with Mario Cristobal. I just think... Again, with the talent they have and what his coaching, he's already done some good things as a coach, you know, earlier in his career. I, I think Oregon can really contend. I think they've got a schedule easy enough to get them there. And I just think there's a lot of things that go in their favor, even though Stanford's obviously, we know what they can do. They're tough. And, but I, I really think he can with the, and with the team they've got assembled there and some, you know, just some other things. The team, I think it's going to have some hard times. And the more I look at it, the more I'm like, yeah, I was high on this at first, but now I'm not. Herm Edwards, Arizona State. Ugh. I'm not – not the more I see and the more I hear about it, the more I'm not looking forward to it. It's going to be bad. And I, Herm Edwards is a great football mind. There's no debating that. I'm a Herm Edwards guy. I love Herm Edwards. I love listening to him on ESPN and all those different things and all the stuff he's doing. I, I, he has a great football acumen. But it, to, to being this part coach or whatever he's doing, uh, it's going to just be a disaster. not looking forward to it, and it's going to be bad. So, yep. Yeah, that's-
2: that's a disaster waiting to happen. I I think a couple teams are getting overhyped, like, you know, Texas A&M. I don't think they're going to have as good of a year as what some people think. I, I think the team that has the best shot at 10 wins is Florida State because they're Florida State. I mean, they're loaded with talent. <laughs> yeah. The, the only question right. is who, start, who starts a quarterback between DeAndre Francois and James Blackman. Uh, but they have Cam Akers coming back. They, they've got... They're just loaded with talent. They have the best chance. You know, other teams. Florida could contend for ten wins, like you said. You know, Oregon could. Uh, but if I had to pick one, it'd be Florida State, the team that I think is in for a long, by long in college football standards, two three yeah. years. But a team that's going to take a while to build back up is, is Arkansas because yeah. Arkansas the mm-hmm. cupboard is, is really bare there. I like Chad Morris. I think he's a great mind. Yep. Yeah. I think he will he will eventually do well, but I think it's going to take three or four years just because of the talent level there. And then when you play in that division with the Alabamas and the Auburns and the LSUs, it, it's, it's ridiculous. And So I think Arkansas is going to be really tough. I think Tennessee is going to take a couple of years. You know, I think I like Jeremy Pruitt there, um, you know, in UCLA, I, I think they're going to take maybe a year or two to get up to that level. But yeah, Arkansas is the one, if I had to choose it outside of Arizona state, because I grew up there Arizona, by the way, like <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's, that's going to be ridiculous, but it'd be Arkansas.
0: Well, thanks for that, guys. That was some great stuff there. Uh, we're a little short on time, so we'll just we'll just end it here. Uh, David, you want to give out you guys' social media?
2: Yeah, again, you can follow me on Twitter at DM, as in Michael Creek. And you can find us on Facebook at uh, DS Sports Talk. You can find us on Instagram at DS Sports Talk. And then, Sean, I'll let you give your Twitter.
3: Yeah, guys, you can find me on Twitter at my name, my very long and hard name to Pronounced, but it's easy to spell S E A N P L I, is it Peter? C H T A. And like I said, we're just, we were glad to do this with you guys. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Yeah, no problem.
0: It was Absolutely. fun. A lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, fun being on your show earlier today. And uh, this was even better. So uh, as always, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Dom Thunder. You can check out our uh, affiliates website, dmvsportsnetwork.com. You can follow them on Twitter at dmv underscore. S-N. So thank you guys for helping out. Thanks for contributing. Great uh, discussion there on college football and tennis and uh, NFL training camp right around the corner. So with that, we'll talk to you guys soon.